All right, Numbers chapter 11. While your cell phones are out or if you're taking notes, make a note to yourself and answer this question. If you could talk to the Lord right now and he gave you anything you wanted and you could change one thing about yourself, you could change anything you want about your life, what would it be? If you could change any one thing about your life and the Lord just said, whatever it is, what would it be? Write it down. Get it in your mind. Make a note of it in your phone, however you do it. What would you change? My son Jonah is about half my preaching illustrations these days because he's five and he's super fun. He's also right in the middle of our five children, so he's a little ornery sometimes because he's literally fighting for survival at times or he's leading the pack at times. You know, that's being in the middle. So my son Jonah loves scrambled eggs with cheese and ketchup. So if there's cheese on there, then he will also want to use an entire bottle of ketchup. He will probably just eat the ketchup by itself even because he loves ketchup. He's super into ketchup, if that's not clear. And so Jonah, I made eggs for him, and I said, Jojo, I got eggs for you. They're ready to go. And I had put cheese in the eggs, not on top of the eggs, like cooked into the eggs. And it was awesome. And I'm telling you right now, they were delicious. Also, bacon and tomatoes. Scrambled eggs, yeah, I know, gourmet, I'm telling you. Very good. And so they're ready to go, and I know Jonah, and he likes to kind of mix the ketchup into the eggs and stuff, so I gave him a good helping of ketchup on his plate. Ready to go. So I told him, Jonah, come on in. Everything's ready to go. Eat your breakfast. And he came in and sat down at the table and saw the ketchup and, and looked at the eggs and saw that there was tomato, which didn't bless him. And he immediately got up from the table, ran to the refrigerator, and he said, I need my secret weapon, and got out the, the ketchup. So now he has the ketchup and the you know, giant bag of cheese that we have, because we go through cheese pretty quick. And he's like, I've got the secret weapon. And he's walking to his chair again. And he sits down. I said, Jonah, Jonah, don't use any cheese. Don't use any more ketchup. You have your allotment of ketchup. It's been rationed to you. You're done. And he was like, Daddy, I need the ketchup. It's a secret weapon. I was like, bud, look at your plate. There's ketchup on your plate. You're ready to go. It's done. You're set. He's like, put the cheese. I said, I put the cheese in it. It's in there. It's perfect. It's ready to go. I have given you tomatoes. I have given you bacon. There is salt. There's eggs. It's perfect. It's going to be delicious. You're ready. Just eat your breakfast. And he goes, this is so stupid. And put the ketchup down and stomped away to his room like that. And so a spanking and a discussion later, we're talking, about, we're talking about receiving things with gratefulness. How do you receive things with gratefulness? And the provision is there for you, son. It was done. You're ready to go. As a matter of fact, one of the reason, reasons I'm rationing out the ketchup to you is because I know you and you're going to want a second helping of eggs. And so when that second helping of eggs comes, I want to have ketchup available to you because you are using the entire bottle. And so I'm, I'm intentionally rationing it out to you so that you have enough. Well, he didn't. He just couldn't, he just couldn't handle it. So we're walking through this and, and talking about obedience and about gratitude and about thanksgiving and about receiving. You know, you can't be a Christian if you can't receive. If you don't know how to receive, you can't be a Christian because you have to receive. If you can't receive his free gift, how can you know him? We've all been saved by his free gift. 
So Jonah, I'm talking to him about, about all those things, and he's struggling, and then he goes and eats his eggs, and lo and behold, delicious. So he ate them and had a great time. With that in mind, the people of Israel, in Numbers chapter 11, have just come out of slavery in Egypt. God has heard the groaning of the people, literally genocide happening to the people. The Lord has intervened. He's taken the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt with demonstration by miracle to show that he is God and they are his people. He's taken them from that situation through the Red Sea in itself completely miraculous. He's destroyed the Egyptian armies to further prove that he's God and can do anything and can control nature and all those things. And he has brought the people to Sinai, given them the law, told them what they're supposed to do. There's been lightning and thunder and it's scary and all these things. And they sinned by the golden calf, which is really a bummer. And God has judged that. And so they know they need to be obedient to God. The Lord is using them and moving with them and showing them. And his presence is with them through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They have erected the tabernacle. They've got all these things going where they are worshiping God the way he said to. And failing sometimes. And the Lord showing his love and showing compassion and showing judgment. And all those things. And so they've had all the experiences that we wish we would had, if we're honest. You know, it's like being in high school and uh, sometimes in youth group you hear those, those stories of those testimonies of people who, you know, stand up in front and say, well, I was shot 15 times and, you know, I was, I was high on drugs and I ran into this, uh, my car, you know, off a bridge and into the water. And as I'm floating in the water, an angel reached down and said, not today. And then I was saved and, and the Lord revealed himself and I got saved. And here I am telling you my testimony. And you're like, man, if I had a testimony like that. I'd change, I would change the world. It would be, wow, if I just had a testimony. They have that testimony. God has revealed himself in power to them. And here we get to Numbers chapter 11 as they're moving from Sinai. And here's what it says. Bear with me as we read together. We're going to read a little bit. Here's what it says. And the people, verse 1, complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Terabah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, and it cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. God is literally, literally providing bread from heaven. And they're upset about it. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of bedlam. And the people went out about and gathered it and ground it into hand in in hand mills, and beat it in the mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp at night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping through their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why, am I not, why have I not found favor in your sight, that you would lay the burden of all this people upon me? 
Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat for all of these people? They weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Great attitude, isn't it? Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down there and talk with you there. And I will put some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, that they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils, and it becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and you have wept to him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, the people among whom I am, to no, I am, the people among whom I am number six hundred thousand on foot, and you have said I will give them meat that they should eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, and shall that be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, and it, and that be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you will see whether my word will come true or not. So Moses went out and told the people all the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of all the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Praise the Lord for his word. So what's the scene here? I know we just read a lot. People have come out of slavery. They're tired of the manna. The manna is this bread stuff that comes down. It's like seed. They're pounding it into little cakes. They're baking those cakes, and it tastes good. It's sweet. It's, it's a delicious little meal, but they're tired of it. And so they're crying out for meat. But they don't just cry out and ask the Lord for meat. In other words, they're not saying, Lord, may we please have a hot dog? Could we please have chicken nuggets tonight? They're not saying that. What are they saying instead? It was better for us in Egypt. We had meat at no cost. Why do they have meat at no cost? Because they're slaves. They're slaves. The sweetness of the bread of manna of freedom was detestable to them when they thought about the meat that they could have back in slavery. Isn't that funny? The sweetness of their own freedom became loathsome to them and they were looking for the meat of slavery. You know, that's a common trick of the enemy, that he tricks us, that we start to think back on other things or past times or things that have happened to us in the past, maybe not even bad things. Maybe they were great times. And we start to idolize those times and think, boy, if it was just like those times, things would be perfect. Things would be wonderful. If it was just like 1974, that was my year. This is why there's so many uh, teen movies or older than teen movies 
about people who have their heyday in high school and then sort of fizzle into nothing and they just can't get past it because they're, I was the quarterback. I was the head cheerleader and never really go anywhere else. And it's common, isn't it? If I could just go back to when I was 22, although that would be. I was on the floor the other night playing with the kids and I started getting up and I was like, oh, my back. What's wrong with us? God help us. 22 sounds pretty good. But we start to idolize and think about even those times that were good. Maybe a time when we first got saved and we were on fire for God and it was exciting and we were doing things for him and it felt so great. And if we could just return to that kind of passion, everything would be better. It's not true. Maybe we start to think about the freedom we had before we knew Christ. Sin and doing things and self-gratification. And we start to hear this lie of, man, some things were better back then. It's not true. It's not true at all. And the Israelites have fallen for it hook and sinker. And so they're complaining to God. Notice they're not lamenting. They're not asking. They're not inquiring. They're complaining to God. It was better for us to be in Egypt. Even going so far as to say, why did you bring us out? It would have been better for us to stay. And so the Lord is angry. So what does the Lord do? He speaks to Moses. Moses, he's got a great attitude. He's going to set the people straight. Instead, Moses has a terrible attitude. What's his attitude? Kill me now. These people are ridiculous. What am I supposed to do? I can't help them. Just kill me. Let it be over with. And the Lord's like, Moses, for crying out loud, just get 70 dudes, I'll help you out. For man, do it now. And so you can feel God. Can't you feel how he's the Lord's, he's not a man. He doesn't have emotions like us. And yet you can feel his anger. Why do you think he's angry? He's providing, he's providing for them. Not just that he has provided, which is true, but also he is providing. And what have they just been through? All of the escape from Egypt. They've seen his power. They know who he is. He's revealed himself to them. And yet they can't seem to change their mind and even just come to him with a little respect even. So the Lord says to Moses, I'll give you meat. In fact, I'll give you so much meat, it'll come out your nostrils. How would you like God to say that to you? I'll give you money. I'll give you so much money that you will hate it. Oh, okay, Lord, sounds good for a little bit. Well, just get me out of this bill. I'll be fine, whatever. But, that, you know, God, he's going to give them exactly what they want. So much that it will come out their nostrils. Man, that doesn't sound good because when the Lord says something, it happens. So, not only does he say that he's going to give them meat, but he really does have these 70 guys come, and they get filled with the same spirit of prophecy that Moses has, and the first thing that happens is they start to prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? Prophecy means to speak something that you've seen, that they've seen something suddenly from God. Now the Spirit of God comes on them. They see something different. They see something, kind of like David was talking about with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., seeing something, seeing what God is doing, seeing what the heavenly kingdom looks like, seeing what God's provision looks like, seeing what his, his hand looks like, seeing what his great power looks like. And in those moments, it just springs out of them and they start talking about it. But it stops, doesn't it? What's so funny, too, is Moses is the guy who walked around with his staff 
I mean, staffs turning into snakes, making plagues happen, all kind of stuff. Red Sea is parting. And then the Lord says, I'm going to give you meat. And he questions God, where will the meat come from? What are we supposed to do? Kill all the sheep? If we had so many fish, where will the fish come from? Even if we ate all the fish in the sea, they're still going to want it. Man, it's so, isn't it? Can't you just feel his, the complaint of even Moses' heart coming out in this little passage that we read? Why have we read this? We've read this because it's easy for us. It's easy for us to see God's power in our lives, to see all the great things that he's done, to see his provision, to see how he's providing now, to see how glorious he is in all the things that he is accomplishing in the world, he, to, to know him through his word, to have our word applied to our lives, and then to look back and start to idolize a time that was better in our mind. It's easy for us sometimes to look at our neighbors and see what they have, and that little root of covening comes up in our heart that I should have that. Why don't I have that? It's easy for us to take God and supplant a respect for him and instead just make him what we ask for. Lord, I, I just need that job. You just give me that job and everything will be better. Lord, we'll just fix this relationship. If you just fix this relationship, my life will be so much better and it will be fine. Lord, that, that boss, maybe just remove that boss and things will be better. And then everything will be great. If, it's, if I could just get that funding for that special project, if I could just get you know, a thousand more Instagram people following me, that would really change my life. Whatever. And all of a sudden, those things creep into our heart. And the manna that God gives us, his own son that he gave us, it's not really enough anymore. And even in our own heart, knowing the power of God, something changes in us. Now, here's the funny part. The Bible does not tell us that we shouldn't lament things. You know, there's sins that happen, sins that happen to us that aren't our fault. There are bad things that happen. The people of Israel were in slavery. Their children were being slaughtered by a, a horrible government. The lament of the people is okay. Lord, I hate this job. I hate it. Lord, this boss is driving me crazy. I'm trying I'm trying to be faithful. I don't know what to do. Lord, I lament that my relationship with my children isn't what I thought it would be. Lord, restore us somehow. Those things, praise the Lord for those things. Complaining and lament are different. They're different things. And we see here in this passage that the people of Israel are fully investing themselves into complaint because they're allowing themselves to believe it would be better if I were here. It would be better and there's a temptation for us to start to think that our lives would be better in a spiritual sense, in an ultimate sense, if we could just have what we want. If God would just give it to me, it'd be fine. Why can't he see that? And suddenly our hearts move from lament into complaint. And the Lord does not like it. He's holier than that. He's bigger than that. And he expects us, as we've seen, will walk in the revelation that he's given us. To know him, to know his power, to know how big and grand he is, to know what his salvation looks like, and to really trust him. It's different, isn't it? I have a friend named Jonathan that I met recently. We had grown up together, but uh, I was friends with his brother, and that's why I didn't know him very well. And Lisa and I had the opportunity, Jonathan's a pastor, 
and we had a, uh, a time where we got to know all the pastors and you know friends that I, for a class that I was taking. And so he's in a class with me. And so we went to the professor's house and we had dinner and we we're having a great time. And my professor trying to give us sort of a program for the night instead of just eating, which is always the, the trick, isn't it? Said, uh, all right, somebody tell us a story. And so a couple of people told some funny stories and neat things that happened. And Jonathan said, I want to tell you a story about an iris. And so he proceeded to tell us about a church he was in. And one of the people in the church had these beautiful irises that had grown up and these beautiful flowers that would bloom. And they were really just incredible. And so the guy in the church had dug up some of the flowers and said, if you want them, you can have some and they'll transplant into your yard and it will take a while for them to grow, but it'll be awesome. And so uh, Jonathan took his kids, he has five kids, took the, his boys over to the house and they helped dig up the plants, you know, and brought them back to theirs and carefully put them in the ground and they start growing, you know. And uh, for the first year, nothing really happened. And so the boys are intrigued because you know how it is with kids. Like the next day, they're like, is it ready? Is it ready? And it's not. So for a whole year, they're waiting as the flowers get acclimated to the new soil and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, they're waiting for them to bloom, waiting for them to bloom, and the neighbors had bloomed. And they're like, it's going to be any day. And Jonathan said his three-year-old boy was watching. He said, Teddy, I think it will be next week. It's going to be next week. I know it. I know it. I apologize. <clears throat> so the next week, tragedy struck. You know, Jonathan told the story way better than me. <laughs> next week, tragedy struck, and that little three-year-old boy went home. And it was the next day the flowers bloomed. So now three houses later, <clears throat> sorry, I have an ugly cry face too, so it's not good. So, so now three houses later, they've moved and they've dug up their irises every time and they brought them to each house. And every time they bloom, they remember. And here's what Jonathan said that really gets me. As he said, we struggled. I mean, I can't imagine. We struggled. We struggled. And then, thank you. <clears throat> and then we realized to be thankful for the time God had given us. That we had three years with him. And it struck me that the spirit of complaining is defeated by the spirit of thanksgiving. The spirit of complaining is defeated by the spirit of thanksgiving. And even in the most horrific of occasions, and even in the worst circumstances, the things that are so terrible, the things that are the worst of our moments of our life, that the spirit of thanksgiving could come on my friend Jonathan, and it didn't heal all the wounds. 
The lament is still there. But the spirit of complaint that comes up with every year now, five years later, that the irises bloom every year and they remember, Lord, why did you do that to me? Why did you let this happen? Why couldn't you save him? For all that time that's lost and your heart starts to walk into complaint and bitterness and upsetness and all those kind of things. And instead to be thankful, Lord, thank you for those three years. Thank you for that time you gave me. Thank you, Lord, that you oversaw that whole thing. Thank you for the blessing of what it was as we now step into what it will be. So here we are, New Covenant Church, we're 50 years old. And I look around the room and we've got to grow. We've got to grow. We have to see again the power of God moving through us. But here's the funny part. Are you ready? God never changed. He never left. You know how sometimes in churches when they say, you know, the Lord is here now. That's a great thing to say. The Lord is here. The reason that the Lord is here is because he came with you. He's with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't put in you a spirit of despair. He hasn't put in you a spirit of complaint. He hasn't put in you broken dreams all over the place. He hasn't put in us a heritage of all these years where God's just going to abandon us and then things won't work out. That's not who we are. And I'm telling you right now, I had lunch with my friend Tony the other day, and he had a bunch of ideas about things to grow the church, and it was a great time, and I really enjoyed being with him. And at one point, he very lovingly corrected me and said, you know, after every idea I have, you're saying like, yeah, but the challenges, yeah, but the difficulty, yeah, but the thing. And I'm telling you the spirit of complaint that's in my own heart that comes out sometimes. Because, man, I'm tired and you're tired. And we've tried these things before, haven't we? We've tried. We've tried all kinds of stuff. And sometimes it works and sometimes it's miraculous and sometimes it's powerful and sometimes it isn't. And I'm telling you by the word of God that the Lord has not put in you a spirit of complaint. He's put in you a spirit of thanksgiving. And we can look back at great times and say, Lord, thank you for those good times that we had before. And step into now what is ahead. We can also look back at those times when the enemy is trying to deceive us. And say, it was better in slavery. It was better when you were enslaved. You had meat, remember? And instead, without a spirit of complaint, we can say, Lord, we lament we lament at lost relationships. We lament at lost energy. We lament at things that haven't gone well. And yet, God, we see what you're doing because the spirit of prophecy that was in these elders is alive in you. What does that look like? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul is talking about putting on the new self. Here's how he starts Colossians chapter 3. He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice, slander, obscene talk from your life, from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing what you seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has complaint against you, Forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which, bi which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, him, to God the Father through him. What does Paul see here? What does he see? He sees what used to be, and he sees what is and coming and can be and is now and will be. Who are these people that he's talking about? who are putting on compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving with one another, binding everything together in love with one another, the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts, the word of God dwelling richly in them, admonishing one another, coming together with thankfulness. In everything they do, they're worshiping Jesus. Who are these people? They're, the, they're us. It's you. And we get the privilege of looking together with the spirit of prophecy, not just into what it will be, but what it is now and what God has done with us and what he has created and how he's pouring, pouring together in his spirit a body who will serve him and worship him and live like this. What would that look like? Could you imagine what a great and wonderful and powerful testimony it would be if the church were like this every day? And guess what? We're already there. God's already doing it. We're not perfect. We've got all kind of stuff, sure. But a body who actually walks together in love and sees Jesus lift up in everything we do, wow, what, what a great testimony that would be. Can you see it? Can you see that people? Can you see that as us? Here's the great question for you. I'm tired, you're tired, we're all tired, I understand that. Here's what the spirit of complaint says. I don't know if I should go to the meeting today. I'm tired. We tried it before. I don't even know if I have any real friends there. Nobody cares. If I missed three weeks in a row, would anybody notice? Would it really do anything? Are we doing anything? What's the point? Maybe God will just help me win the lottery. It would be a lot easier. It would be a lot easier just to hang out, let the kids watch TV all day. Just fine. It'll be fine. I'll catch the thing on Facebook later. It's one step away from the spirit of complaint. Say, Lord, give me what's due me. It's one step away. And I'm telling you, it's, an, it's, it's not who you are. It's not what God's called us to be. It's not the spirit of thanksgiving in us. It's not the spirit of prophecy rising up in us. It's not our destiny to just fade out into nothing. It can't be. 
Uh, because we know the king who has saved us. And if he wants to give us meat, he can slaughter every sheep in the world if he wants to, because they belong to him. Until it comes out of our nostrils, God forbid. Because he's more powerful than our circumstances. He's more powerful than things going on in our lives. He's more powerful than the defeats and the faults and the hurts of the past. He's more powerful. And he's going to use us for great things. If you're here today and you are lamenting lost opportunities, lost jobs, lost relationships, lost lives, lost whatever, we're with you. God bless you. This is not against you in any way. What I want to do is I want to show you in your heart, look with the eyes of the Spirit. Is there complaint that's rising in us, that's leading us to apathy? Are you like me where everything's difficult, we've tried it, we're tired? Are we one step away from just walking into some complaint? Or are we pressing hard into Christ? Are we seeing something different? Are we living on the Word? Are we trusting Him? Are we coming together to do something for God? Are we committed to what He's about? That's who we are. That's who we are. And I am convinced that God is leading us in power. Convinced. And I can tell you right now, I don't know what this year will hold or what it's going to look like, but our church has changed in the last five years in great and spectacular ways. We are a different church than we were five years ago. And I can feel the Holy Spirit just ready to go, ready to hit the gas again. It's just we, He gave us like a brief pause to just let things happen, bad things in our past, whatever. And now he's moving forward. The question is, are we going to keep pace with him by, his, by him, by his power? Or are we going to let a spirit of complaint come into our heart and choose the easier way? I'm telling you this because we cannot waste any more time. We've got to move with, with God where, where he's going and what he's doing. And I tell you with humility, I don't know exactly what that will look like. But as we unfold the next couple of months with things that we're doing with the church and things we're going to try, we're just going to go for it and see what God does. And one of the things that I am convicted by is looking at our church and seeing the great heritage of faith that we have and the things that God has done and not being excited or motivated to even come sometimes. That spirit's got to go away. I was talking to somebody about the church the other day, and we were talking about just ministry things and stuff we were doing as another pastor. And uh, we were talking about good and bad and all this kind of stuff. And he said, uh, tell me about your missions. Like, what do you do in the church for missions? I said, you know, it's like 60% of our budget, and you know, we've planted like 60 churches over the years, and we sponsor and help like 23 pastors. And he was like, what? I said, yeah. He goes, do you know them? I said, well, we have a guy. His name is Mike. He's on our Apostolic team. We, we love him and respect him. He's, you know, checks things out for us. He makes sure it's good, and we trust Mike. And so a lot of the guys have met some I haven't, but they know Mike, and we know Mike. And he was like, What? I said, yeah, it's just, you know, we're just doing stuff around the world. We're going to do, you know, Pakistan. We're doing a new training course for elders. He said, Pakistan? Well, what? I said, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. He goes, yeah, but, you know, he, we're doing stuff too. <laughs> I said, okay. Because we got four guys. They're going, to, they're going places. I was like, all right, praise the Lord. Now, his church exploding in growth, new disciples, People getting healed from addictions, all kind of stuff. And here's what I say that in, in comparison now, is we've got so many great things. And then as soon as the conversation changed to how many people have you baptized lately? 
I was like, oh, we're, yeah, we're doing stuff too. Loaves and fishes. We help people. We like, we like people. Love Jesus, love people. That's our motto. And I'm saying that because it's funny how in my own heart, in my own expression, just about us, I can elevate certain things and say, like, wow, look what God is doing. And other things sort of shuffle under the rug a little bit. I don't want to talk about some of that stuff. You know, our worship's going to be dynamic and fun. You know, average age is a little older on the youth on the on the worship team. It's gonna be all right. Don't worry about it. You just come and you should visit. You know, why do we qualify things? If God is doing things, God's doing things. If the Lord is at work in people, the Lord's at work in people. If God is revealing Himself, God's revealing Himself. And so I'm challenging you with this. Look in your own heart. Is there any complaint that's brewing up? Or is there a spirit of thanksgiving for what God has given us and a passion for what's ahead? Can you see with me what God is making, the people that he's creating, and how he's moving us forward? Because I think the Lord's going to test it this year. And it will be exciting. I'm saying that in a good way. Uh, What will happen? What if God answered our prayers and there was 100 new people here? Would that solve everything? 100 new people who are just as disconnected as we all feel sometimes and craving truth and want all your time because you know more about Jesus than they do. Are you ready for that? I am. Because it will be great. And it has lasting, lasting consequences of things that God's doing for his glory in the earth. Come with me. Come with me in faith and let's see what God does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of complaining. But by your spirit, you have opened our eyes to see you. Help us, Father, to be faithful in all we do. Help us, Lord, to give you glory today by, Lord, checking our own hearts and igniting a fire in ourselves again that we would see you and seek after you. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. Thank you for your life. And thank you that you are leading us into green pastures according to your word. We trust you, God. Lord, for all those lamenting today, Lord, I pray that you would heal their hearts. Lord, that you would bring resolve to all the prayers. Lord, anyone who's desperate, Father, whether it's money or a relationship or whatever, Lord, I pray for blessing. But Father, most of all, let us serve and worship Jesus with pure hearts. Let us give glory to to you in everything that we do. Lord, whether word or deed, that we would see you glorified because of your great gospel and your great kingdom. We praise you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, and we submit to you. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for staying after with me a couple minutes. We'll see you next week. Bless you all.